All right, that'll put you in a good mood, right? Just a little whistling, nothing like a little whistling. Hey, I meant to mention, and I didn't, I forgot, if you're here or if you have a friend who's a part of Crossroads and they would like to have their child or baby dedicated, uh, you can just check the box on the back of your Connect card today that just says I'm interested in child dedications or baby dedications, however that's worded. Just check that box and the team will take over from there and we'll be in contact and we'll be doing baby dedications uh, as, as throughout the year. And so uh, we'd love to be a part of that in your life as well. Hey, my name is Ryan. In case you missed that, in case you came in a little bit late or tuned in a little bit late, I'm the lead pastor here. So great to have everybody uh, part of this uh, live cast. We had a wonderful time at our 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock now. I don't want anybody to forget, too, we have 11, we have a Thursday night as well. Uh, Thursday night's uh, great. It's, it's a little bit smaller, so if you'd like a little smaller crowd. And uh, one thing about Thursday night that's unique is we don't do live music on Thursday nights. We use our music videos. And so it's it's a great opportunity if you just enjoy music, but maybe you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to sing. You can sing. People do sing. But you can also just sit and enjoy the music and let it kind of wash over you. And it's the same talk, same topics. We had a baby dedication on Thursday night this week. No, no, we didn't. But we would do a baby dedication on Thursday uh, as well. So it's just another opportunity for you in case, especially if you're going to be gone uh, during the weekend, if you want to connect. And it's broadcast as well. So great to have everybody here. We're launching a new series on happiness. And in, in Thinking about and starting to kind of press into this, I came across a TED Talk that was given in 2004 by a guy named Dan Gilbert, who's a Harvard psychologist. And the, t the topic, the title of this TED Talk was The Surprising Science of Happiness, The Surprising Science of Happiness. I'd encourage everybody to go watch it. It's about 20 minutes long. Uh, it is a little older, but there's so much research that's being done in this area of happiness. But it's quite fascinating. Uh, and what I'd like to do is just share a few things that Gilbert gives from his research, from the work that they've been doing, to just kind of get us thinking and talking about happiness. One of the things that Gilbert says in his TED Talk, which is really interesting, is he says that our brains have a unique and amazing ability to simulate experiences that have not yet happened. It's one of the things that, that uh, kind of makes us quite unique and different from every other species with a brain, is that we can actually simulate something that hasn't yet happened and then experience emotions based on that. And he gives this wonderful experiment, and so I'll try it with you, okay? It won't hurt. There's no needles. There's no probes, nothing like that, okay? It's a thought experiment. You have two options, right? You leave this place. Your first option, the first experience that you can have, you're going to make a choice. Which one of these would you rather have happen to you? Which will make you happier, all right? The first one is you leave this place and you say, I've got a really good idea. I'm going to go and buy a lottery ticket. And you go, you buy a lottery ticket, a mega millions, and it turns out you win the lottery, right? That's option number one. Option number two is you leave this place and you have a horrific car crash, which leaves you a paraplegic for the rest of your life. Which would you prefer to have happen to you? I'll give you a few moments to think about it. I want you to consider it carefully, which will make you happier? How many of you would say, I choose winning the lottery, that'll make me happier over becoming a paraplegic? Okay, just look around. Most of us would say yes. And you can do that because you have a simulator, right, that says, I can think through what happens, what changes take place. But here's what is true. You would be wrong. You would be wrong. Because the science says they did this study on people who won the lottery, and they did this study on people who experienced tragedy and trauma and actually became paraplegics. One year later, from both incidences, the data shows that they are equally happy. Equally happy. 
So you're wrong. I don't know what to tell you. You're broken. Your brain is broken, right? No, it actually is. What's fascinating is the science as Gilbert goes through in his TED Talk is that it's actually quite common that this takes place, where we assume that we will be happier by certain events if they happen or if they don't happen. And this tendency for the simulator to kind of break, the tendency for the simulator to work or function badly, science calls it an impact bias an impact bias. And this refers to the impact that we think something will have on our lives. So we, we, we go into experiences like what college we get into, or the love of our lives, this relationship, or a job promotion that we think we want. And the impact bias says if these things don't happen the way we think they will, we will be unhappy. And all the data and all the research has shown that when people experience these kinds of traumatic events, and and any kind of a traumatic event, barring a few, there are a few traumatic events that this is not true of, but the majority of traumatic events where we don't get what we want, we don't experience it, we think it's going to ruin our lives, three months later, they've had absolutely no impact on our happiness. That's what the data shows. So that, that thing in which we do, where we kind of forecast out, we simulate it, is actually a little broken. And what happens is our lives actually, and what happens, our brain kind of rewires ourselves to experience life differently so that our happiness factor isn't changed. Why is that? Because what Gilbert says is happiness can be synthesized. Happiness can be synthesized. So to synthesize something, right? The word synthesize means to take things and to combine them in order to make something new, right? And so to use this word synthesize is this idea of synthetic versus natural happiness, right? And, and there's all kinds of conversations around like, well, which is more genuine, which is more powerful? But what all the research shows is what your brain is capable of doing to kind of counteract this impact bias, to counteract our, our like understanding of, of, of way we simulate things, is to synthesize happiness, to take those experiences and create this new thing. So think of synthetic happiness versus natural happiness in this way, right? So synthetic happiness, or let's start with uh, natural happiness. So natural happiness is this idea of uh, what we get when we get what we wanted. I'll say that again, right? Natural happiness is that experience, what happens to our lives. It's what we get when we get what we wanted. So you wanted to get into that college, you wanted to marry that person, you wanted that promotion, you get it, you have this experience. So that would be natural happiness. Synthetic happiness is what we make when we don't get what we wanted. It's how our brain functions when we don't get the thing in which we thought was going to make us happy and how it reworks it and transforms it so that we then can experience what is what Gilbert calls synthetic happiness. He gives this quote from Sir Thomas Brown from 1643. And Sir Thomas Brown was kind of this Renaissance person who he was an author, uh, was very well-versed in medicine and science and religion, and he wrote this work called The Religion of a Doctor. And he said in this work, I am the happiest man alive. Like, that's who you want to hang out with, right? Like, anybody that can say, I'm the happiest man alive. I'm the happiest person on the planet. Like, you want that person at your party, right? He says, I'm the happiest man alive. He says, I have that in me that can convert poverty to riches, adversity to prosperity, and I am more invulnerable than Achilles. Achilles was the great Greek warrior of Homer's uh, Odyssey, I think it was. 
right? What is going on in this guy that he sees himself as the happiest person, that fate really can't affect him, there's no place that it could touch him, like he's just got it, he he can convert it all, right? He can synthesize happiness. What is that ability? Well, science and psychology, it seems that it calls this thing, according to Gilbert, our psychological immune system, right? Our psychological immune system, that there is this set of cognitive processes that for the most part happen subconsciously that help us kind of change our view of the world so that we can feel better about the world we're living in. I kind of see this phenomenon when I have had the opportunity to visit different parts of the world and go and visit organizations that are oftentimes doing incredible work with the poorest of our world, the most marginalized in our world. And one thing that I always walk away from these settings that I just in disbelief is, how can they be so happy? How can they, be, how can they have so little? How can, how can life be so hard, yet be, there be so much happiness there? And I think this is that reality. Now, what's interesting, what Gilbert says, is that some of us are aware of this system in our lives, and some of us aren't. So some of us are like uh, Sir Thomas Brown, who can say, I've got it. I can turn poverty into wealth. Like, they understand it. It's firing. And some of us don't. And see, I think the Bible uh, has a word for this. I think the Bible word for this type of phenomenon, and by the way, uh, what we want to become as people of faith are like bilingual people, right? I don't believe that science and spirituality are at odds. I don't believe that God and science are in some way in opposition with one another, and they're fighting and they're arguing. I actually believe that science helps us understand God. It's not that we have to just make these two like jive together. It's that we can recognize that we can experience God in science, and science can help reveal us the nature of God. I was thinking of a show. I love The Big Bang Theory. Anybody watch The Big Bang Theory? It's one of my favorite shows of all time. It's a brilliant show. And there's one episode in the show where Leonard, one of the characters who's an experimental physicist, I think he's trying to impress a girl or something, and he's talking about his work. And he basically says, yeah, I'm a physicist. I basically kind of peel back a layer of the universe and peer in, and I look at it, and I say, I see what you did there, God, and I like it. Right? And I just love that line. Like, that's the reality that science can help us understand God. Help, science can help us understand how God has orchestrated and manufactured the world that we live in. And so the, so the Bible isn't at odds, but we oftentimes, like faith and religion, speak about things and use different words, right? So I think that the Bible word for this phenomenon that psychology, that social sciences teach us, the Bible word for this psychological immune system is joy. It's joy. It's our ability to live in a different space than just the experiences that we have, right? It's that ability to take and reframe and see the world bigger than the moment, right? Bigger than that, uh, that system in our brain that wants to project out and simulate experiences. But joy can ground us. One of the most famous Bible verses about joy is found in this book called Nehemiah, which is in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, what Christians call it. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, uh, it says that Nehemiah said to the crowd that had gathered, go eat the festival foods. Go and drink all the sweets. Go and take things to people who don't have anything prepared for this day, because this day is holy to the Lord. And then he says this, don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your refuge your strength, your stronghold, depending upon your translation. Don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord 
is your refuge. So what's going on here in this passage? Well, Nehemiah has gathered all the people. Nehemiah, what has happened, the people have been in exile for about a generation and a half. Nehemiah has come back to Jerusalem, the city, and the walls of the city are in disrepair. He rebuilds the walls, does a big campaign, rebuilds the walls. Then he calls everybody in for this festival that they're supposed to celebrate called the Festival of Sukkot or Booths, not booze, the Festival of Booths. All right, I know that some of us walk out of church and go, well, the pastor said it's the festival of booze today. That's not what I said. It's the festival of booths. And this was a time where they would create these elaborate, not elaborate, it's pretty simple booths that they would go live in outside and they would celebrate God as provider. And it was one of the high holy days, holy weeks of the Jewish liturgical year. It still, still is. And all of a sudden, they're there, and part of this festival is to read from the Scriptures, as they would be reading from the Torah, from the book of Moses, as they would call it, and talking about the festival of booze and how God would provide. And all of a sudden, it says that the people started weeping as the Scriptures being read. Now, why would they start weeping? Because they're looking around, and the city is still in massive disrepair. Homes have been burnt, and I mean, we're talking a generation and a half of just like decay happening. Yeah, the walls are built, but the temple is destroyed. Nobody really knows what to do. So they start weeping, and this is where Nehemiah steps in and says, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. Your brain is simulating something here. Hold on. No, no, no. Like what God is going to do, how God is going to work is beyond what you can imagine. So this is a day to celebrate and rejoice. And that's what's happening. So we get this beautiful picture of, I think, what Gilbert is talking about. We get it from antiquity. And kind of the word there was the joy of the Lord, that which goes beyond your experience of, of sadness or disappointment. And I think the Bible has a word for people who are aware of this, right? Remember, Gilbert said, some people are aware, some people aren't. The people who have this awareness and kind of live into it, they live with this strength of joy and they can like talk about it and it transforms uh, just kind of the way we see the world, right? The Bible word for that type of life is happy or blessed. Those would be the two key words. So if you're ever reading your Bible and you see happy or blessed, it's probably the same word, depending upon your translation. And it's not talking about natural happiness. It's actually talking about this idea, this concept that, that your life is sustained and your, your brain and your spirituality can, can re-script the experiences that you have, can reframe your understanding of the world so that you can enjoy the world in which you've been given. Probably the most famous place where we see this phrase, happy or blessed, is in the Beatitudes of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. Now, when you think about it, you say, oh, i, I got to pull the word blessed and, and happy out of kind of my Western mindset of the stuff that I get, right? Oh, I was so blessed today. I won the lottery, right? Eh, that's not a Bible concept of, and, and a spiritual concept of blessed and happy. It's, I didn't win the lottery today, and I'm okay, right? There's this joy that continues to sustain us. It's a silly example because we all go through much, like, far more difficult experiences than not winning the lottery. So when we say that blessed life, it's that life that has this ability to, to, to develop and grow this spiritual or psychological immune system. In fact, I did a quick word study of these two words, happy and blessed, that get translated. There's a Greek and a Hebrew word. Just did a quick study, which means I pushed a little button on my computer program. <laughs> Don't be impressed, okay? And I looked at every time this thing was, these two words were used, either in the Greek Old Testament, the Greek New Testament, Hebrew Bible, looked at them all real quick, and rarely 
could I find one that really dealt with this idea of natural happiness. It was always synthesized happiness, always seeing the world above the experiences. It's very, very interesting. We also see that Paul and other New Testament writers, they were able to synthesize happiness. They were able to live in this joy. Romans 8, 28, a super famous passage from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He says this, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who were called according to his purposes. Like this is the same principle, that for people whose minds are set on the love of God, who are living in a God that is redemptive, all things work together good. That doesn't mean that God established and made all things happen. It means that there is a cognitive understanding, a psychological kind of immune system that says, yes, this is horrible, this is awful, but I live in a space trusting that what my simulator is telling me this is going to do to my life is not consistent with what I know about God and what God is able to do and what love can do through this. Paul even says in Philippians, probably one of the craziest passages of synthesized happiness in the Bible, right? A crazy passage. Philippians chapter 1, he's sitting in prison. Paul is in prison, and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that my situation, I love that he calls his imprisonment situation, my situation, you know, like he stubbed his toe, my situation, has turned out rather to advance the gospel, so that my imprisonment has become well-known in Christ throughout the whole praetorium and to all the rest, and so that all the majority of the brothers have taken encouragement in the Lord from my imprisonment, and they now speak more than ever this word of God fearlessly. Like, that is synthesized happiness. That is sitting in a present cell going, it's not that bad. <laughs> like, that's insanity, right? That's crazy when you think about it. Who does that? But that's the spirit of God. That's the work of, that's this ability to say, okay, well, my present circumstances are telling me are real and true and they hurt, but I'm not gonna let that simulator overwhelm what I know to be true, even more true, and that is God's grace and power. I don't believe for a second that Paul was ever like, this is so awesome. I love being in prison. This is God's will. God's will is for me to be in prison. I mean, why wouldn't it be God's will? This is the only way the gospel could go. This is the only way. But no, 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 no. I don't think Paul would ever say that. I don't think Paul would. I, don't, I just think that's not a healthy sight. I think there's this understanding of this is a fallen world. I, I'm up against evil. I'm up against people that don't want to hear about this beautiful nonviolent gospel, people that don't want to hear that Caesar isn't Lord, people that don't want to hear this message that the law isn't where it's at. That Jesus, and so I'm in this circumstance, but here's the power of God at work. That's that synthesizing of happiness in psychological terms. Now, James, this letter that we have in the New Testament, starts with something absolutely crazy. A helpful hint for those of you that want to write a blog post, don't start with something like this. This is nonsense. James says, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Yeah, nobody's forwarding that one onto their friends. Right? That's not the like button. You're not hitting the like button on that one, right? Because it's so counterintuitive to conventional wisdom. We should be avoiding at all costs, and we should recognize that trials and temptations and frustrations, like these are things we want to avoid in certain lives. And he says, consider it all joy, right? Because these are opportunities for that spiritual, psychological immune system to grow. And he calls it perseverance. And this perseverance uh, can be perfected. It can be made perfect. And you'll be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when you read that passage and you think of it in light of what like, some of the research is showing us, isn't that amazing that you could, you could actually have a psychological foundation, a spiritual foundation, a spirituality of happiness that says, you know what, when I don't get what I want, that's a trial, when I don't get what I want... I can actually have the Spirit of God and I can actually live into the way God has created me, reframe the world and realize I'm really not lacking in anything. 
I'm really not lacking in it. What I didn't get what I wanted, but I'm not lacking anything because God is so good and all these things can work together. And we see over and over again, the way this word is used, we see this being manufactured and we learn this really cool thing that our happiness is not found in our purses, but in our pursuits. Isn't that clever? Somebody clap for that. Nobody clapped. I thought that was super clever. Thank, I want to thank you, Sandy. Sandy, you don't have to give in the offering today for clapping for that. That was great. No, listen, we tend to think that happiness is all about our purses, purses representing and symboling and being a metaphor for what we have and what we get. But what we see, no, it's in what we pursue, in what we pursue. It's in what we fix our eyes on. It's in what we delight in. The psalmist says it this way, and this is our anchor verse. I would encourage those of you that are following Jesus, saying, hey, I want to live out this peacemaker life, that you memorize these two verses over the next seven weeks. I mean, I'm one of those easygoing pastors. Some pastors give you Bible verses to memorize every week. I'm like, seven weeks? Come on, people. We can do this. We're in it together. But this is what it says. Happy are those, and some translations will say blessed, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight, we could say their pursuit, is in the law of the Lord. And in, on His law, they meditate, they pursue day and night. Now, you might read this and go, Ryan, this doesn't sound like very much fun to just sit around and read law, right? Let's just gather around and we'll read the book of Leviticus. It'll be super fun. And we'll figure out how we should sacrifice all the animals and how we shouldn't blend cotton and how we shouldn't cook a, 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 a baby goat in its mother's milk. Bad stuff. We don't want to do that. Let's delight in that. It'll be awesome. Not many people signing up for that one. But here's the cool thing. I don't doubt for a second that the psalmist, when they wrote that, that's exactly what they were talking about. I don't doubt for a moment when they wrote that, that it was, we're going to delight in God's law, the way God has set up our culture, our society, what we're supposed to live into. We're going to delight in that. We're going to meditate on it. We're going to avoid the things that produce pain. I don't doubt that. But here's what we know now. We know now that the law of the Lord is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came and said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I have fulfilled it. So now when I read Psalms, when I think about Psalms in light of Jesus, I think about what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, the psalmist being one of them and all those that have come along, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us. Right? That's the whole idea of, the, of Psalm 1-1. Of it's like, don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't fall after those things. So he's saying, let's rid ourselves of all those burdens and sin, and let's persevere in running the race that lies before us while what? Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of faith, right? So what does that say? Meditate on that. Meditate on the way of Jesus. Pursue the way of Jesus. This is how we grow that immune system. And Jesus was really good at synthesizing joy. Look at what it says here. For the sake of the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right of the throne of God. That's insanity again, right? Like, that's just, that is miraculous. Like, the, the joy beyond the cross, right? That Jesus could synthesize the reality of this pain that he's going through. What, is, what Jesus was going to do was for the joy that was beyond it, that strength, right? And, and, and this is so powerful. So here's what I don't want us to miss as we kind of head out of here today. The, science and Scripture both, they come into alignment, and they offer us, and they reveal a spirituality of happiness. 
And I think that's very powerful. And I think that's great that we can talk about this, this science of happiness from a religious framework, from a God, using God language, from what we know to be true and what the science is telling us. And that's basically that happiness is not simply a matter of happenstance. It's not a matter of getting what we want or good things happening. It's a spiritual and psychological strength that's been given to all of us. And when we have the faith to believe that it's there and the faith to ground it in the goodness of God, boy, we all of a sudden can turn poverty into wealth. We all of a sudden can turn these circumstances that we think are going to end our lives and we can hold out hope and trust that God is present in the midst of it, able to redeem. And so here's the challenge for us over the next seven weeks, that all of us would pursue joy, that we would pursue a way in which we could build up our spiritual immune systems by exploring what we're going to call the hallmarks of happiness, the hallmarks of happiness. And so we're going to look at some research that's been done that has revealed these like habits, these things that happy people have in common. They've been doing all kinds of happy work, happy like research since like the 80s, I think it is what I was reading. And they study this and they have ways in which they can look and explore and say, okay, this person scores really high on the happiness scale. And so they look at all these people and say, what are the things that they have in common? And we'll call them hallmarks. And we're going to explore these through the lens of Scripture and science and say, well, do we see these kind of laid out in the Christian life? And can we talk about them in these kind of Bible ways? And so next week, we're going to talk about the hallmark, hallmark number one, divine connection, that happy people connect themselves to the spiritual. They connect themselves to something bigger than this world. Then we're going to look on Memorial Day weekend, the hallmark of remembering. The happy people know how to celebrate. They know how to remember the good. They know how to remember the difficult. They know how to honor things from the past. Then we're going to explore the happiness hallmark of rest and renewal, physical health. The happy people take seriously being healthy people. And what does that look like? And do we get any insider wisdom from Scripture on that? And then we're going to look at how happy people in this hallmark of happy people live in their strengths live in their strengths. We recognize we all have weaknesses. We all have things that we're not good at, but happy people know how to focus and spend their time and effort and energy on sharpening where they are already sharp, using those gifts and those talents. And then we're going to look at the happiness hallmark of kindness. Uh, happy people are kind people. We're going to look at soul care. What does it mean to care for our spiritual person, who we are at the cellular level, I like to say. And then we're going to wrap up with this happiness hallmark of intentional relationships, how the science shows that the happiest of people are ones that know how to invest in important relationships. They know how to earmark and have those a part of their lives. They don't slip them off to the side. And I believe this really does matter for us as a peacemaking community. If we're thinking about following Jesus and spirituality in terms of peacemaking, one of the things as peacemakers, people that just desperately want to help people feel better, is that we can fall into a trap of what we'll call toxic positivity where we feel like we have to say something to make you feel better, especially as people who follow Jesus, because you're not allowed to ever be sad if you follow Jesus. I don't know if you know that or not. You're not ever allowed to feel grief. You're not ever allowed to be upset. You're not ever allowed to feel overwhelmed. And so we think that, and, and so whenever we encounter somebody who is feeling grief or sadness or loss or pain, we feel like we have to say something to make it better. So we say these kind of crazy things instead of just being present in the pain. And so what this will do is it will avoid toxic positivity if we can understand and grow in the spirituality of happiness. Because here's what's powerful. The spirituality of happiness does not deny the truth 
of pain and meaninglessness and suffering in our world. Nowhere in any of the research that I looked at or saw was there ever a denial of the impact and the pain and the hurt of negative experiences. There's no denying it. And the church has often denied it. Faith has often denied that reality. So we just, we live in a different world. We live in the kingdom of God where there's no pain or loss. Oh, give me a break. No, it's not true. But here's what is beautiful. So the spiritual happy, spirituality of happiness doesn't just apply to my individual immune system, right? Like my own spiritual life, but it applies to our community. It applies to our community. And so I do believe that one of the marks of a spiritually healthy community right, that's grounded in joy, that says, you know what, what you've gone through is horrible, it's tragic, and I totally get that you can't sing, that you can't pray right now, that you, you don't feel any sense of, you don't want to read your Bible right now, you don't want to go to church right now, so here's the deal, we'll sing for you, we'll pray for you, we'll walk with you, we'll carry you through this, we'll be with you in the midst of it, and I think that's what's powerful, is that we can actually start to hold to something called joy that recognizes the pain of a moment but holds the tension that we're grounded in a belief that God is powerful enough to take all things and work them for our good and that we can reframe and, re and understand our experiences in that light. All right, so I'm going to get you out of here. I promised I would do that. So do me a favor. Grab your Connect card your offering envelope. If you're in the room, if you're online, open up a new window on your browser, pull out that Connect card, and uh, let's just finish filling that out together. Name, email address, if you're a regular tender, if you're brand new, connecting for the first time, check that box. Uh, uh, I'm new here, uh, guest, first, second time guest, whichever box it is, and uh, we just love to know that. And there's a couple of next steps there, a couple of invitations I think God is inviting us to that maybe you would want to commit to. One is participate over the next seven weeks. Participate, whether that's digitally, whether that's in person, but make it a priority to stay connected and walk through these simple habits and say, how could I? Uh, maybe some of these I'm living into, and you can celebrate that. Maybe there are ones that you go, oh, you know what? These are kind of simple. I could start to put these into my life intentionally. And then I want to encourage you to invite a friend to join you on this journey to join you on this journey. There was an article that kind of prompted this initial thought that uh, Pastor Katie Martinez had read that uh, some of these courses on the science of happiness at certain universities are, are filling up in record times because people are hungry for how do I build a life that is beyond just the circumstances that I live in. And as we come, as we continue to live into the reality of a COVID and, and even beyond it, what the world is going to look like, there's a hunger out there. And so I would just encourage you to be open to the Spirit of God who might put somebody on your heart to invite to participate in this journey. All right? That's it. No pop quiz today. Nothing like that. Do me a favor, stand up. Stand up. Stand up, stretch out a little bit. I want to encourage you to kind of stretch your arms out just a little bit. I've got a blessing for you. As you go, you can drop your Connect card in the orange kiosk. You're giving envelopes. If you're online, you can hit the button. If you'd like to pray with somebody, something going on in your life, we'll have people up here in the front. You can also push the uh, button for live prayer on the campus, or you can text the number that'll be in the comment section as well if you're online. So close your eyes. Take it a deep breath. Just a blessing for your life as you head into this week today. May God bless you and keep you. May love's light shine in you and through you this week. And may the hope of joy give you strength as you navigate what are sure to be disappointments this week. And in all circumstances, may your hearts be open to the redemption that's found in a life hidden in Christ Jesus. 
And may your joy be complete in the transforming work of the living Christ in your life. And may your eyes be opened to see the wonder of God in all life's circumstances. And this week, this week in particular, may your heart be full of trust, believing that the one who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, even if that good work you feel began today. And may you experience happiness as you pursue this good work of God in you and in your world. Amen. Have an awesome week, everybody.